0: welcome everybody to, to Rise Church. And uh, man, just so excited to be here with you and, and uh, kind of keep moving in our series. We've been talking over the last several weeks called Vision. And um, just a heads up, um, you want to put this on your calendars. Everybody say next week. Next week is important. And here's why next week is important. Every year, our church, um, what we do together as a, as a collective body of Christ we give towards what's called we call it the vision offering and what we believe is that we can come together as a family church and and um, believe together for our future and one thing I've noticed as being the pastor of this church has been that God has done everything in his own timing He's not done anything the way. I I don't know if you're like this in your relationship with God, but like God does does what he wants to do and doesn't really take my input in a lot of ways. And so like I would prefer him to do things a little bit different. Um, But I really believe this. I know this, that there is a future for our church. Um, I know there's a future building for our church. I know there's a future place for our church. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking to you about what we're going to do as a church, both practically and spiritually, um, that I believe is going to be the catalyst for those things. And so um, our next series that's coming up. Um, and then obviously our vision offering next week. It's just All this is going to work together. I really believe God's doing something really special in our church. So if you can, plan now. Um, here's what I'm going ask you to do as a church. We do I do this every year. Um, just so you know, I've never asked the church to give. I just, it's not our flow. It's not how we do it. What we always do is we say, you, you ask God and search your heart and ask God what you should give uh, in, in our vision offering. Um, my wife and I, every year during this time at this specific season, we pray and we ask God, Lord, what would you have us give? And so you're just how we do it. This might sound silly, but this is how we do it. Um, I pray, she prays, and then we come together and I get an amount and then she gets an amount, and no lie, the last four years we've done it, they've had, we've had the same amount. Now, I'm not saying that, that doesn't, that's gonna happen to you or that always happens and that's God. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what we like to do in our family is pray and seek the Lord. The principle is seek God first. Because I, I, can, I can, I don't know about you, but like if you, God left it up to me, I'm pretty good at like giving him the small number. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, I'm good with the small number, God. I need that extra Starbucks. So like it just is what it is. Um, and so God always gives me a number that challenges me, both physically, you know, in the carnal and then in the spiritual. And, and we, we, we give uh, every year towards that offering. Our staff gives, our leaders give. We believe we go first. And so I want you to do the same thing. I would just like you to pray this week, talk to your wife, talk to your family, get your kids involved, like get them around. And say, hey, we're, we're thinking about as a family giving towards um, their vision offering, this vision offering for our church family. And, and we're going to talk about what it's for next next week, but really it's for our future. We Every year we give towards our future. Every year we, 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 we give so that we can not just have a future, but we have the future that God has designed for us. So pray right now. Everybody say, I'll pray. Yeah, pray right now so that you guys can be a part of that and be planned and ready to give next week. And uh, make sure you are here. That's a good thing. Just make sure you are here. Uh, we are continuing our series called Vision today. And last few weeks we've been talking about, <clears throat> like, what is it? What is God's method for growing people? Um, I love, one of the things I love about God is that he does not expect you to grow overnight. and He doesn't make, expect you to grow like in a leap. He, he expects you and I to grow in steps. In fact, that's how he created you. We talked about it in week one, how like step one was knowing God. And all of us all at the end of the day, I, want, I don't even know you, but some of you, but I know this about you. You were not born saved, that you had to make a decision one day in your own time, in your own way to follow God. And our church's design on the weekend is to give someone that greatest opportunity to do that. And we talked about that in week one. Week two, we talked about last week, we talked about the idea of having community, that you and I were actually created for community. You and I were actually created. There is nothing, you, you have, it is impossible to reach your potential in Christ alone. It's just impossible. Now you can do something, but you're not going to do what you were made to do. You're not going to get to where you were supposed to get to you're not going to accomplish what you are supposed to accomplish without people in your life and yes what because yeah, yeah, i know like but you don't understand people are messy it's messy it's hurtful sometimes it doesn't make sense sometimes it's, it's it's a little it's a little like oh i don't know if i want to go through that but when your heart is open to people come on i'm telling you, you 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 will reach your ultimate potential today we're going to talk about the third step and we're going to look at it again exodus chapter six if you have your bibles exodus chapter six it says therefore I say to the Israelites, we've, we've read this now a few weeks. This is important because I'm, I'm reading it again and again and again and again because I want to get it in you. He said, I am the Lord. This is, this is God re- re- responding to Moses because Moses came back and said, Pharaoh did not do what we thought he would do. He said, here's what I'm going to do. God says, I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I'm going to free you, step two. And then, and then he goes, step three, I'm going to redeem you. That's going to be, everybody say, I redeem yeah, he says, I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And then I will take you as my own people. So those are the four steps that God uses to grow people. And uh, we actually had a table last week. I put it up. I thought it would be e- easy for us to look at just kind of as a, um, as, a, as a church, if you can put the table up. So we talked about week one. I will bring you out. Week two, I'm going to free you from being slaves. And then, and then week three is, is today, which is the cup of redemption, which is free people being developed and our method of doing that is to, develop, is to develop your purpose, and we do that through steps ministry. So we're going to be in step three today, kind of walking through what, what's our method here at Rise? How do we grow people? Will we grow three people through God's method? And with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, we, we just love you today, Lord. I thank you that, God, you're doing something amazing, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for um, your goodness. I'm grateful for your love. I'm grateful for your kindness. And that you've given us a path of growth. We're not here just to hang out. But we're here to be a part of your family, to participate in your family. We ask you to speak to us today, Lord, in only the ways that you can, in Jesus' name. And everybody stand. Amen. 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 I um I don't know about you, uh, but recently, in the last I would say ten to fifteen years. Uh, TV has uh, dramatically changed, right, the last 10, 20 years. Um, how many of y'all remember growing up with, like, you know, uh, certain, like, you know, you're old school, you know, you, when the TV, you, know, you had, like, what, Leave It to Beaver, and you had the Brady Bunch, right, like, how many of y'all grew up with that, come on, how many of y'all grew okay, all right, we got, so we're just, I know, thank you for participating, okay, y'all remember that, all right, you know, and then you kind of got a little more into, like, you had MASH, and, you know, you had kind of 80s shows, right, you had those kind of things, and yeah, the 90s came around, and it was, like, you know, the TGI, Fr- y'all remember TGI Friday, you know, like, you had to have. And then it was like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Home Improvement and Saved by the Bell. Come on, how many of y'all remember those, those shows? It, it was all good. And then the 2000s came and the downfall of TV really hit a, a, a new low because that was the introdu- introduction of what they call reality television. Y'all remember rea- Like before we didn't know... We didn't know what reality television was, and you had these shows that came out, and you know, you, it was like you, you, it was the OC, and then you had the what was it like, you know, Jersey Shore, and you had like these crazy things that came. Remember when MTV, we actually had music on MTV? It, MTV started creating television shows, and so they had things, you know, and they, these shows come out, the Kardashians, you were like, How are you gonna be famous for just being famous? It's like, it don't make no sense, and so it was weird. So you started you know, these but one of the cool things that came out of reality, I'll say, one of the cool things, I think maybe the only good thing, was that um, they started having these like um, um, remodel home makeover shows. You know know what I'm talking about? And so like, you know, it's like Joanna, Chip and Joanna Gaines started to become popular. You know, you're like, oh yeah, Waco, you know, Magnolia, you know, you go out there and spend 10,000 on a shirt. So, you know, it's awesome. I do it every year. My wife loves it. It's all good. I'm I'm paying for, you know, Joanna's fourth beach house right now. So it's great. And, um, but I remember uh, watching some of these shows, like on HGTV, where they have uh, where, where they would restore um, old furniture. And uh, it was interesting because it was like, you know, they would go to, like, a, a garage sale or they would find some. And it was like, how did you find that? You know what I mean? Like, because all the garage sales I'm at, like, don't have any of those things. And, and you know, they would get them and they would restore it and they put all these things together. And you, they, would, they would do all the work to create this, like, masterpiece. So my wife got inspired because she was watching that. And she goes, hey, they could do that. We could do that. Which meant, come on, guys, you all know what that meant translates. The husband, you can do that. And so she said, hey, I want you to make me a farmhouse table, you know, like restore and reclaim a, a farmhouse table. So we went and got some old wood, and, and I, I did my own thing. Now, some of y'all don't know this about me. You're like, no, this is guy. He's like a city boy. He just likes to shop and play golf. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't know how to do anything. Let me just tell you, okay, a couple things about me. <laughs> I grew up in a construction family so my dad was is a general contractor for the, my whole my whole life I grew up doing construction and so I do know how to do a couple of things around the house and so she she commissioned me to make a table and so I made this table and we we was all really cool and I created it was a farmhouse table and it was I made it all nice but it was funny about after a while we started using it after a while, we would make, we made it in a way where like you could, it was usable. So it had like dents in it. We like intentionally hit it with like chains and, you know, you tried to like make it you nails and you make it hurt, you know, or whatever. And then, um, eventually what I would do is it got so bad that the, the table, um, was unusable because <laughs> I have like a thousand kids and I didn't think that you could break and destroy a destroyed, distressed table. You can do that. And so my boys would destroy it and they destroy it. So we would, in fact, we put it in a room where we never even use it anymore. I just want to go to Pottery Barn, bought a real table, put it in the kitchen. And then we put that table that I made in the dining room where nobody sits. You know what I'm talking about? And so we all just, and all the stuff just goes on top. We never even use it. So one day she goes, she goes, Aaron, I would like you to restore this table because I love this table. You made it for me. And I'd like you to, I'd like you to bring it back to its luster. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. But okay, because I love you. You're my girl. So I said, all right, I'll do it for you. And so I started this process, and I brought a couple of pictures of, of like, our table that, that I kind of put together. And so I, I sanded it down. I kind of um, planed it out. And, and then I started filling all the holes. And then, I, and then I stained it. You see the stain? Come on, y'all. Like, I just stained it. And it was, it was all nice and pretty. And, I, and then I painted it that white, like, you know, nice farmhouse white table flow. And then I put it back in the house. Because I had had restored it. And and whenever I read this this verse from Exodus chapter 6, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. It just reminds me of the restoration process of that table because my wife said something interesting when she told me to do it. She said, I want you to restore it back to its original intent. Because it was originally designed for a table, but after a while, after it was beaten up and... Had holes in it, and had, we had like food particles stuck in the middle of the corner, like in the cracks, you know, and it was just like just look jacked up, and we never used it and it sat in an old room that no one ever went in and it wasn 't until I restored it and worked at it, and I brought it back to life that it restored itself to its original its original purpose the The word redeem. Uh, the definition in webster's dictionary it says to restore redeem means to restore or reclaim back to original intent that 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 when you re, when you redeem something you take it from where it is now and you bring it back to what its original intent was and for the children of israel at the time you need to know this historically as slaves they were beaten on a regular basis. They were mistreated on a regular basis. In fact, what they would do, Pharaoh would have them build bricks out of clay and straw for the building of the, of the kingdom. But after a while, Pharaoh would run out of straw and so he would make the slaves, these Israelites, they would make them make bricks without straw. Do you know what it's like to make bricks without straw? It literally means you are doing something that means nothing. You are wasting your time. You are spinning your wheels. You, you, we, are, we, we think of you as so less valuable that we're just going to give you something to do that actually does nothing in life. You feel like you're going to go to work, and you're going to punch the clock, and you're going to work your 9 to 5, and then you're going to come home and look back on your day and go, I just wasted my whole day. And God said, what's going to happen is, is I'm going to come in, and not only are you going to know me, as your god and then not only am I going to free you from being slaves to them I'm going to get Egypt out of you not only am I going to get you out of Egypt I'm going to get you Egypt out of you now I'm going to restore you back to your original intent I'm actually going to bring value back to your life It's the same true for us. In fact, Paul in the New Testament speaks about this. Paul was, he was an apostle who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He planted churches and he planted a church in Ephesus and he wrote in Ephesians, which is a letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, for we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us a long time ago. You forgot who you were. He's saying, he's reminding us that you are not an accident. You're not a slave. You're not somebody who was just supposed to go to work and then make money and then come home and then get to the end of your life. Like you're not someone who's just supposed to just do and, and run the race and just kind of get through life and hopefully you make it. He's saying, no, you're a masterpiece. Like I'm doing something in your life. That you have value. The Greek word masterpiece there is poiamai. It means, means poem or, or story that, that have you ever Here's a question. You remember back in college or high school or maybe grade school where, where you had to write a story? When you wrote a story, it didn't just, it wasn't like one sentence and you had a story. It was a process, right? There was a way that you, you wrote and you didn't, you didn't judge. Here's the thing. You didn't judge the story until it was done. And God was saying like, look, you guys are a masterpiece in the making that you're in process right now. Ever say right now? Like you're, you're in process that like God's writing a story and if you're not dead, he's not done because it's true. It's, he's writing something in your life and so you could be in here, what that means is you could be in here thinking like, pastor, you don't understand. I'm having a really bad time. Okay, God's writing a story. Like if you're not dead, he's not done. That means he's moving and that means he can work it all for your good. You could be in here saying like, I'm having a great time in life. Okay, wait, like God's writing a story. Like there's something going on in your life. God's doing, it and He's he, he, let's not shortchange what He's doing because it's a masterpiece. But it's a masterpiece in process. And God's point of the third step is to bring us bring us back. Redemption meant I'm going to bring you back and return us back to original intent. Now, for us, that that was that was um, we want to see freed people get trained. You saw that in the in the, the in the table that I showed you. But for the Israelites, when they read or when they, when they celebrated this every year at Passover, we remember we talked about in the first week that they, they drink one cup per step. And this was, this was so good. This was the cup of redemption. And this cup, they, they drink it with the Jewish Seder. They, they would drink it to symbolize God's step and process of moving us from slave to ultimately son, to develop us, to actually show us why you were created on this earth. Because some of us don't know our purpose. And when you don't know your purpose, when you don't know who you are and what you were created to do, it's real easy to just live life and look back on it and go, what was all that? I feel like I was doing all that for no good reason. So, so for us today in, in, our, in our steps, this, this is our steps. We, we, want to, we want to develop our purpose. We want to develop our purpose. Our third step today is to develop our purpose. How do we help people develop their purpose? And that's how I'm going to talk about today, what our step is and our strategy. Our strategy here at Rise, how do we do that? Because I might've convinced you like, okay, that's good. Pastor, I understand. I see what you're saying. God wants us to figure out who we are and develop our purpose. Then what does that mean? That means simply this, that we, we as a church, we need to strategically, we, here's how we do that. We strategically help people discover and develop their, their gifts that God gave them, which means this: in order for you to be a disciple, okay, we talk about that right like a lot. Like, if you hear that in the you're in your Christian, you're like the Christian thing is we got to be a disciple. You got to develop disciples. But what does that actually mean? Well, a disciple for a lot of people means a lot of different things. Some people disciple means well just be a really good Bible scholar. For some people, disciple means go and serve the community all the time. For some people, a disciple means, hey, I watch all of the, the episodes of The Chosen on Amazon Prime right now. For those to me, some people to be a disciple means I have to make sure I, I share every time the YouVersion Bible app puts out a verse. I share that or I check mark Christianity. Like, what does it mean to actually be a disciple? I'm going to give it to you right now. Y'all want to know what it is? Here's what a disciple is. To, in order to be a disciple, it means this is simply what it is. It is, to, is, to, is actually learning to apply. That's simply all it is. A disciple in the, in, the, in the context of Christianity is I'm going to be someone who doesn't just learn about God, I'm learning about God so that I can apply what I learned about God to my life and to the world. And if not, if, we don't get, if we're not careful, sometimes we can get really stuck in just the application or we can get really stuck in just the knowledge. In fact, James talks about in 1, 2, 22, he says, don't just listen to God's word. Come on, he, you've heard this before. Don't just listen to God's word. You must, you must do, everybody say do, You got to do what it says. He says, stop just becoming a super Christian in your own mind. Learn how to actually get up and do what God has actually taught you to do. The most effective disciples are doers. Here's why that matters. If you just come to church to listen, you're not being an effective disciple. I'm going to let that pause and sink in for just a second. Because for so long, Christianity was talked about. We even perpetuated it like pastors like me. Just come to church. Just come to church. Just come to church. Please come to church. We'll help you come to church. And then we got really good at it. Like in the seeker-sensitive, friendly movement, we made church cool. And we put lights and smoke. We did carnivals. We didn't call. You didn't celebrate Halloween. You know, some of y'all are like anti-Halloween. You like y'all think that every holiday is evil. You know, it's like it's like. So we don't do Halloween. We do harvest festival. Like that's better. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. We just put a brand on it that was different, made you feel better about yourself, so you didn't feel like you know you were celebrating Satan's holiday. You ever grow up like that? Like my mom always tell me, like we don't celebrate Halloween. It's Satan's holiday. That's Satan's birthday. I'm like that ain't even true. Like that ain't even a thing. <laughs> okay. But like we we do things right. And, we, and we, we get silly about certain stuff. and We forget what the whole purpose of all this is. It's to be a doer. 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 To actually come here and not come to church. Come be the church. If, if, if you don't do this step, I'm just telling you, you're, you're putting a time limit on how long you're going to stick around Christianity. You're putting an expiration date on your walk with God because it wasn't meant to be like that. It, would, it, 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 it was not meant to entertain you. It was not meant, Christianity was not meant to be the thing you come participate in like a club. It wasn't meant for that. And when you treat it like that, here's how we treat it like that. You treat it like that when you go and you just attend and watch. And he didn't want that for you and for me. Why? Because he knows you were created for more. So we got to be focused on being a doer. How do we do that? How do we become doers? Two ways, if you're taking notes in the time I have left. I'm going to give you a couple of ways we do that. Number one, we as a church, one of the things we're committed to is helping people discover their gifting. Like, discover it. Because truthfully, let's say this. You could be in here and you're like, I don't serve because I really don't know what I'm good at. That's a fair argument. Because some of us don't know what we were called to do, created to do, what we can do. Some of us really have devalued our value. And so we don't know what we are. We don't know who we are. And we don't know how we are. I like what uh, David says in Psalm 139. He says, thank you for making me so. This is such a good perspective for you if you struggle with value. Because some of us struggle with our value. So a struggle with who we are. So David has a really good, a good concept and insight on who you are as a human and under God. he says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. <laughs> I like that. So he kind of embraces the fact that we're just we're kind of complex people. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not you're not simple. Nothing in life, you ever feel like nothing in life with you is easy? Did yeah. anybody ever tell you that to your face? Yeah. Like, nothing in life with you is easy, Aaron. Like, I'm like, well, I'm just being biblical, so I'm wondering that. Yeah. And your workmanship is marvelous, how well I, I know it. Two things that he, wanted, he pointed out there. He said, number one, you're unique, and number two, you're important. First one, you're unique. Like he said, he says, I'm so wonderfully complex. that like You are unique. You are distinct. You are special. I know, that. like, your mom told you that growing up, didn't she? Like, you are special. It's true. Like, you're unique. No one's ever seen you before. There's never been you before in your life. Ever in life, there was no one created like you. You are so unique. You are different. You have some, God made you some weird quirks and some personality traits and some weirdness about you. Like, you're weird. You know that, right? Like, that's good. That's what makes you uniquely different. That's why you're unique. You're distinct. That's why comparison is ridiculous. Because you think like, well, because we're all humans, I'm comparing apples to oranges. No, you're not. You're comparing apples to airplanes. Because you don't know their life. You don't know how they brought up. You don't know what situations they've been given. You don't, know how you, don't know, you don't know what they've been going through. You don't know what they have paid to get that. You don't know what happened in their life. You just, there's no reason. That's why social media is so hard is because it really makes you feel like, well, I mean, it's not nonstop. You know, you kind of go through all the pictures and then you compare their best life to your normal life, to your real life, right? So you compare their best fake life to your worst normal life And then you, in that game, I always lose. Have you ever noticed that? I always lose. But God wants to remind you today, you're unique. You're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to be Tim or Kyle or Fred or Frank or whoever you compare yourself to. You're not supposed to be Sally, Sharon, Karen, or, you know, Fran. I don't know what, pick a name. I don't care. You're not supposed to be those people. You're supposed to be who you are called to, to be. And because you're called to do that, you're supposed to be unique. You play a specific role. The, the, the church, um, the Bible actually highlights us as like the body of Christ. Like we're a body. I'm glad that like on my body, I don't have a thousand hands. I've got two hands. I've got two feet. i got a head. I got, you know, they're all unique. They're all different. They all play a different role. They're all valuable too. I'd feel pretty messed up if I lost my left foot, you know. I, want, I like my foot. I want my pinky toe. I like my ears. You know, it's like I want to keep some things on my head. And they're all different, but they all have different value. And, when, and the, the, it's, important, it's important to know your uniqueness on how God created you. Because when you know who you are, this is important, okay? So when you know who you are, you know what to do. Yeah. 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 When you know you're unique, and God wired you and put these little things in your life. Because you ever wonder why, like, God, yeah, sometimes I'll look at some of the things that I struggle with. And I'm like, God, why did you give that to me? And I'm, it'll make, it'll, God will remind me, I gave that to you to make you unique. Because that's who you are. That's not who that guy is or that guy is. When you know who you are, you know what you do. Then you can be effective and stop going and living life and running in circles. The other, um, my son, Winston, he's in T-Ball. It's interesting. It's fascinating to watch kids play T-Ball. Because if you've ever seen children play T-Ball, he's five. so he's. he's they, they, first of all, there's no competition. So it's a little boring. So it's just all just everybody wins. And I'm like, if everybody wins and everybody loses, what's the point of this? So it's like, it's just how I am. Sorry. So, it's, it's, so I'm out there and, and, and um, all the kids bat. Everybody bats through all the lineup and they let them go. Um, but I noticed something about my son. He put my son on first base. And so Winston's on first base, the very first game, Winston's on first base. And um, he, he's standing there and the ball gets hit to the shortstop, which is like far from him, right? Well, in t-ball, when the balls hit, it's like soccer. All the kids, like it's, it's, it's like the light bulb is over here and all of the mosquitoes all fly around the light bulb and they all just chase the ball. You know, it's like one giant soccer game with a terrible ball. You know, it's like, it's weird. And so he's running after the ball. And so when they get the ball, they don't even know what to do with it. They get, they all run, they all jump and tackle each other. They get the ball. One kid comes out with the ball and he's like, I win. And then what do you think all the parents are doing? Run it in. Throw the ball. Do what you're supposed to do. Come on. And I'm throwing chairs. It's stuff. It's uh, Stuff's happening. So the first play goes on and acts like that. I said, look, Winston, I like, get on his level. And I said, look, you're at first base. If the ball's hit to you, Then you get the ball, touch the base. That's your purpose on the game in life right here. No other thing. Don't chase the ball if it's not nowhere near you. Because when the ball is hit and it's not near you, you need to run to first base and get ready to catch the ball. And that's how baseball is played. That's how you win the game. And the funny thing about life is there are a lot of us, the ball's hit and we just run around. Y'all just run around. The day starts, you get up. You put your pants on, you brush your teeth, you go to work, you come home, you eat, you go to sleep, you wake up, you put your pants on, you eat some breakfast, you go to work, you go home, you eat dinner, you go to sleep, you wake up, you put your pants on. Y'all see what I'm saying? Has anybody else ever got stuck chasing the ball? It's like whenever they, you, you, you don't even know what you're chasing because if you got it, you wouldn't know what to do with it. And so some of us need to learn. And God, I think, is sometimes saying, look, you got to get yourself into a position. Let me tell you what you were designed to do. Your first base, this is what first base does. You're a follower of Jesus. This is what a follower of Jesus does with your gifting and your skill set and the way I made you. You're made to do this, to be effective in the game of life. Because when you know what you do, what you, who you are, man, you know what to do. You're weird. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Number two, he says, says, not only are you unique, you're important. Psalm 139, he goes on to say, he says, your work mission is marvelous. That word marvelous was um, the original language, the intent of what he was doing. It was actually used to describe organs that were irreplaceable and incredibly valuable. That was the original intent of that language. It was like he was talking about the lungs of a body. Because if I lost my lungs, I could not live. And he was saying, man, you are so important. You are so valuable. You are so needed in this world. And some of you in here don't believe that. And so I'm here to tell you, you're important we need you. The world needs you. God wants to use you for his work in this world. And some of you have been sitting on the sidelines thinking like, well, they got it, right? (laughs) You ever notice that? Oh, they got it. Oh, there's somebody, somebody's doing it. The problem is, is everybody says that. And when everybody says that, nobody's got it. And you have to know that you're important. And God redeems us by elevating us in our value. I like what he says. He says, I will deem you. How is he going to do it? With an, with an outstretched arm. And sometimes we'll go through life thinking something will happen. It will cause you to question your value. And God, what he does is, y'all ever see an outstretched arm? What does he do? He elevates with an outstretched arm. He, he lifts, he lifts you up. The other day, my son, Judah, he has a struggle when he, um, he he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's eight and he struggles when he does something wrong. Anybody, does anybody, whenever, whenever you do something wrong, do you really, are you really hard on yourself? Anybody else in here other than me, just wait, when you do something wrong, come on, like, just tell tell the truth, shame the devil. Okay, good, all right, awesome. All right, so When you do something wrong, it, 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 you, it's so hard on you, you, you it, even in your countenance, you lower your head. Like, you just, oh, and it destroys you. My son's just like that. He just made a mistake walked up and he, he made a mistake and he, I said, something was wrong. Head was down. And he goes, dad, I'm a failure. I said, daddy, I'm a failure. And when you're a parent and your kid looks at you with tears in his eyes, and he says something like, daddy, I'm a failure. And you know what I did? Cause I'm a daddy outstretched arm. And I grabbed his chin. I I just lifted it. I said, you're not a failure. I said, "You're, you're a winner. I said, you just made a mistake. You're so important. This world needs you, son. And all I did was, all I did was And sometimes our countenance determines our value in our life because you made a mistake and something happened to somebody in here or you went through something you made a mistake in your life and you failed at something and that particular situation became your identity and you just need to know God specializes in coming by if you allow him to just come by you and just lift your head up. Like a good dad does. He, he goes, son, no, that ain't you. That ain't you. Daughter, daughter, listen, you made a mistake. It's okay. That ain't you. You're not a failure. You just failed. That's okay. Come on, come on. Lift up. Because the world needs you, and he does that by, by showing you your value. Second thing that we do here at the church is we, we help you to discover it, but then we want to help you develop your gifting. So we, we want to make sure you know who you are and what you were called to do and what that means for your life. But then our job really, honestly, is to help develop it. Like our job is to coach it, to make sure that you actually get to it. In Ephesians, Paul says in this, another letter to the church at, at Ephesus, he says, now these are gifts that Christ gave to the church that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. He says, this is, this is, I gave you the gifts of all these guys. He goes, he kind of highlights what we would say is like the professional Christians, right? Like the pro people who are supposed to be doing church. Like, you and I would all assume, like, well, the pastors, prophets, evangelists, pre- preachers, and teachers, yeah, they should be doing church, absolutely. they're Obviously, they're the pro. We're just the amateurs. Pro should be doing it. Pastor Aaron, of course, you should be doing church, obviously, right? Most people think the responsibility of the church is to be on, on us, the pro-Christians, right? That's what you do. I mean, you study the Bible all week long. That's all you do, right? That's what pastors, what do you even do around here? You know, it's like 40 hours a week. That's what people always say. I don't know. What does a pastor even do? <laughs> Nothing. We just hang out, play golf. This is great. <laughs> Our job is to develop you to do the work of the ministry. Because Proverbs 12, or Ephesians 12 says, the, re- the responsibility, my responsibility, <laughs> now you're not going to like this part. My responsibility is to equip God's people. Everybody say me. Somebody didn't say it. Everybody say me. Okay, that's everybody. My responsibility is to equip you, God's people, to do the work of the ministry. To do the work to build up his church, the body, of, the body of Christ. My job is to equip, which means to develop you into doing the work of the ministry. My job is to teach you the steps of how to, now that you know what you're doing, now that you know what you're called to do. Now, your job, my job, my job is to put you in the best opportunity to actually do that. My job is to train and develop you. It's like, now you're on the field? Now we're going to teach you how to do it. My son, uh, Titus, he's in another... I got like 8,000 kids in baseball. So I just got all baseball stories. Uh, he, he was... He was um, all kids, by the way, when they start throwing baseballs, they all push the ball, they short arm it, which means most kids go like this. I grew up playing baseball, so I just I coached for a long time. I played twice a year, until I was in high school. I, it was, it was, I just I know baseball. And so um, he, most kids, when they start off, they throw it like this. They get it right here and they push it. They think the ball comes from here. They push the ball. I think it's called short arm. So I saw my son... And I'm like, hey, son, like, and that drives me crazy because that's actually one thing you can control. So that drives me crazy. Anytime I see a kid do that, I'm like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to go back to the basics. We're going to go back to the basics. We're going to go back to the basics. So what I will do is at practice time, I'd sit there, me and him again, and he go, I go, all right, son, we're going to go out and throw. He'd get his glove. He'd go like 100 feet away from me. And he's like, all right, let's throw. I'm like, nope, get back over here. I said, stand five feet away from me. He's like, five feet? We can't throw. I said, take your glove off. He goes, how am I supposed to catch it? I said, we're going down to basics. I said, get on your knee. He goes, What? I was like, all right, get on our knee. Here we go. I said, all right, get your arm like this. You're going to start off by holding your wrist. You're going to grab the ball. You're just going to learn how to flick the ball just like this. We're going to flick it. Then we're gonna do ten like this, and we're gonna throw it like that. We're gonna teach you the lever, the lever throw. I want you to lever. You're gonna learn how to flick it and throw. You're gonna lever and throw it back to me. Then we're gonna learn. Without that, we're gonna learn how to just kind of turn like this and throw. Then we're gonna get up like this. And we're gonna go sideways. We're gonna get like this, and I'm gonna turn and go like this. And we're gonna throw the ball. You're gonna learn how to use momentum. Learn how to use the force and the torque of your arm. Learn how to do it. Then you're gonna turn sideways and learn how to st- start right here and step and throw. And you're gonna learn how to do that. Then you'll get a glove. And then we'll get to throw free. And he goes, dad, that seems like a long process. I said, I know. That's my job as your coach, because I was his coach at the time. I said, that's my job, is to teach you how to throw a baseball. He goes, that seemed basic. I said, you'd be surprised how many people don't know how to do the basics. Basics win championships. That's good. Yep. Basics, great teams do the basics really, really well. Right. They know how to run the bases. They know how to throw the ball, and they know how to hit. At the end of the day, it's a game. It's a ball and a bat and you're a kid. But if you know how to do the basics, you know how to win. My job as a pastor is to teach you the basics and make sure you know how to do them really, really well. I know a lot of people are like, but teach me that specific type of swing. You know what I'm saying? The griffy type swing, you know, the pool holes, you know, split where he switched. Show me the complicated, and I'm like, you don't even know how to stand in the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I'm going to be as clear as I can get with you. This is simple church. Basic church. This is, if you just learn how to be a disciple if you just learn how to do church, if you just learn how to be a good husband and a good father and be a good wife and a good mother, if you learn how to actually serve at your church, learn how to be a generous person, if you just do the basics, you'd be surprised how many championships you win. So, So my job is not to come up here and do everything. My job's not to come into church and be everybody's, all, every, everybody. It's it's amazing how people get mad at churches where the pastor is everything in the church. You know, they down them. They'd be like, that church is nothing but the pastor. They just celebrate it and worship him. But when they go to church, when they have a problem, all they do is go to the pastor. All they want to talk to is the pastor. And you can't have it both ways. So when people call our church, this is funny. I, this is kind of how our staff does it. Pastor Jason is really good at this. this. Tabby's really good at this. they would be calling the church. I want to talk to Pastor Aaron. You know what their response is? Well, do you want to talk to Pastor Aaron, or do you want help? Because <laughs> the church ain't about my gifting. It ain't about me doing everything. I'm not called to be everybody's all. I, I'm not a good God. I'm a terrible Jesus. Jesus has got that seat taken. You should go to Jesus for Jesus. Yeah. I'm a decent pastor. I'm an okay friend. I'm a decent golfer, but that's about it. <laughs> and we want to make sure you're doing, why, 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 why? We want you to be involved with your steps. And I've just noticed the moment you get that, Satan just gets in the way. Yeah. Paul had it. As I'm done, he, I'm, I'm finishing up. In First Thessalonians, he's writing this other letter. He's talking, he's talking to this church. He's like, look. I know exactly what I'm called to do, and here's what we want to do. He said, we wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, and he said, but man, Satan's a punk, and he prevented us from coming. The Greek word there, prevented, is engapto. It means um, to cut. They use that word in the original language to cut into the road or make ditches. And he used that intentionally because what happened in those times, you know, there was no roads, there was no 1604, you know, you're like, I hate 1604. I mean, you'd appreciate it if you were just, you know, walking along a dirt path. So they didn't have any roads, they didn't have any cars, they'd walk on long paths. And so what robbers used to do is they'd cut ditches in the road to stop you or your caravan or your, you know, your horse or whatever, just long enough so that they could rob you. And Paul was saying, look, there's a lot of times you're going to be in life and you're walking your step and, God, and, and you got God's purpose in your life. You know where you're going. You're on the path. And then Satan cuts a ditch. And he tries to use things to rob you of your purpose. He tries to keep you from where you're supposed to go. He uses your past. You ever do that with you? You just signed up for next steps. You're ready to serve. And then God, God's given you all your things, everything you need to do. And then Satan just reminds you, how are you going to do that? You know what you did last night. You're ready to go serve your wife and be a good husband and honor her. And he, he reminds you what you were last week and how you treated her. Or maybe he uses a mistake that you did one time a long time ago. Maybe you had a, a rough time with the church before. And he's like, don't, don't serve at that church. You remember what happened last time. Don't give at that church. You remember what happened last time. And Satan likes to cut these ditches. To rob you, come on, of your purpose. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. God redeems us. His mighty acts of judgment, you would think, when we read that sometimes, we're like, is that for me? Like, is he going to judge me? Like, me? No, no, no. That was actually for your enemy. He says, I'm going to redeem you by defeating Satan. I'm gonna redeem you by defeating the guy who was trying to steal from you. I'm gonna defeat him so that you can have victory in me. And, and, and I promise you, the moment you find your purpose is the moment you're gonna win. So how do you do that here? We we have our steps ministry is really designed to develop your purpose. So next steps, if you've not been in next steps and you're new to our church, you need to get in the next steps lead steps you want to lead in our church some way you want to be a team leader you want to lead a group a a small group or you want to be in some type of leadership capacity you want to grow in your step and develop your purpose you need to get in our next lead steps class our faith steps right now class where Pastor Jason deep dives the disciplines and the following of Jesus and what it is to be a follower of God because there's a lot of people who do things with Christ you don't even know why you do them we want to teach you why what does it mean to read the Bible what does the Holy Spirit actually mean why should you pray what does prayer even mean? You need to get better and get learn how to develop in those steps for your life. Development of your purpose is incredibly important. And my hope would be is that you would take a step today to walking out your purpose in Christ. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, I thank you that today, Lord, you are, are doing what only you can do. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your grace and your mercy on our lives. I know that, God, every one of us has been created with a purpose and for a purpose. And that, God, you have a plan for our lives. I pray that we would take a step today, whatever that is.